Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. What's going on, everyone? Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show where I welcome Dr. Scott 
Lyons. And Scott is a holistic psychologist, educator, and author of Addicted to Drama. As a renowned body-based trauma expert, doctor of osteopathy, and mind-body medicine specialist, Scott helps people to break free of cycles of pain, limited beliefs, and trauma. Scott is an innovator in transformative wellness and trauma therapy, teaching over half a million people internationally over the past 20 years how to relieve stress and restore vitality. And today, Scott and I talk about drama. We talk about the drama loop, how to recognize if you or someone that you are in relationship with is in these loops and how it can be negatively affecting either party and how to get out of them. And I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Scott. It was extremely valuable. Haven't really had a whole episode focus on this area of relationship. So whether you identify as someone who can be, you know, exhibiting signs of being dramatic or if your partner is, this is really valuable. And it doesn't have to be overly dramatic. I wouldn't describe myself as an overly dramatic person, but Scott said some things about how we can use drama to protect ourselves. Maybe it's a fight in a relationship, even if it's a very rare incident. He has some insights that that were really valuable to me, and I think they will be to you as well. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Scott. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk about drama addiction. And uh, as I mentioned to you in the pre-show, we haven't really talked about this much at all. And uh, that's why I'm really excited to talk to you because I know I've seen it in relationships, not necessarily romantic, but in friendships and family. And I think it's an important area of discussion, of course, you do as well. So why don't we start by having you share what drama addiction is, and then we'll talk about how to recognize it in ourselves and others and really dissect this area of our psychology. Yeah. Well, the simplest way to define drama is just like unnecessary turmoil and an exaggerated, intensified, performative experience of emotions and feelings. And an addiction to it is simply essentially meaning like there's a dependency on this behavior, this way of existing, this intensification, this exaggeration, this sort of even a dependency on the crisis and chaos, the turmoil that emerges as part of it. Now, the definition really doesn't do it justice in that way because it's really complicated and nuanced as to how it forms the way it shapes up, especially in relationships and in our own everyday experiences um, as well, which uh, I know we'll get into. But yeah, that that's like a very basic definition without going into the many layers of science that are embedded <laughs> within the book. I want to get into the science. Let's start by having you share like how we can recognize it in ourselves or in others. Yeah. So there's what I would call two different classifications. There's how we recognize it in someone else and how we experience it within ourselves. And they will often be at odds with each other, which is a really interesting thing. Like um, for those on the outside, 
they're going to see people constantly making mountains out of molehills. You know, they're going to intensify and exaggerate things. They're going to take one bad part of their day and globalize it as like their whole year <laughs> or their whole day for that matter. Like I had a really stressful morning. My day was awful. You know, um, there's kind of, a, a, you'll see a very negative bias. They're kind of constantly attuning to what can and will go wrong and talking about it. Their love language might be gossiping or venting or resharing the same story to as many people as possible. They're going to, um, like I said, make things bigger than they need to be. Like even the energy required to lift a pencil would be the energy required for most people to lift a like bulldozer. <laughs> it's like the energy expenditure and the emotional expenditure do not feel aligned with what is actually happening and what is here. Um, they pull people in to their crisis. So if you're on the outside, you'll feel like, whoa, what just happened? How did I suddenly get involved? And how did we get from this point to that point? It feels very fast and furious and very hard to follow. Um yeah, I see you nodding your head and I really appreciate it. It's like this beautiful validation. I'm wondering, do you know people or have you experienced people addicted to drama? And do you want to throw some symptoms into the ring, so to speak? Yeah, you know, fortunately, I have not been in you know romantic relationship where I would say it was a big issue in that sense. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about is that the scale of which this shows up, because I think everyone at one point or another can be overly dramatic, right? Yeah. And yeah. and it, it can be draining, you know, to be around someone that that's always focusing on the negative or or a little thing becomes a big thing. So maybe you could talk about, you know, you mentioned the science behind this. I think that will be a good kind of area to talk about because I think it's important to distinguish between someone that is occasionally bringing this up or if it's like a constant thing. And then I want to talk about how to relate with that kind of person. Yeah. Well, what I hear you really naming is like, what's our sort of normalized connection to drama? And then when does it become like a dependency, an addiction, something that's outside of someone's control? And it's like, they're a reflex more than it is like an occurrence. And um, maybe I'll add a few more symptoms in and then talk about it from the inside. And then for sure, we'll, we'll go dive into the science of it. And how do we discern the difference between kind of an everyday kind of intensification versus this becomes our status quo? And, you know, a few more things I would say is like, um, it's difficult for the people who are addicted to drama to feel validated. I said, I, I was, you were nodding your head. And I'm like, oh, I feel validated. That would be hard for me to take in. Because one of the things that we'll see and we talk about the science of it is there's kind of a wall. There's a protective barrier between that person who's addicted to drama and the rest of the world. Even a wall or barrier between themselves and themselves. They're disconnected from themselves. And so... You know, if I say like, oh, you did a great job today at that podcast, you might be like, yeah, and you might name all of the times you messed up or fumbled in your words or ideas. That would be like when I was in the arts and I was a dancer and a theater director, my gosh, 
we would just sit around and talk about all the ways we messed up. Never all like, oh, I really killed it at this 10 minutes in. And I like, you know, like I just felt so connected. It was one of the reasons I had to leave the arts. I was like, it just feels like it's fueling my addiction to drama. <laughs> and I really had an deep, you know, dependency on crisis and chaos. And, um, you know, the, I, I really, from the inside, it feels very different than how it is on the outside. You know, like I, I would never recognize from the inside, oh, I always use intensified languages. I always use extreme, like, or absolute language, you know, never nuanced language. Um, I would never notice that I would bulldoze people. I would never notice that I overscheduled my life and then would complain about it. People on the outside could. But from the inside, I just felt anxious. You know, from the inside, there's a sense that some there's a dis-ease. Something is wrong, but you can't quite place your finger on it. You don't really know. There's a sense that something will go wrong. And there's an urgency to navigate it. There's an absolute sense of isolation, like that no one can ever really see you or meet you. It's a very lonely place and very painful place. And there are only a few things that relieve that pain and that numbness that occurs. When I was talking before about like a wall, it's truly numbness. It's our own protective mechanism from pain. We disassociate or we create a wall, an inflammatory wall basically of numbness to protect ourselves from being engulfed in the pain that we experience. And that numbness becomes the divider. And so feeling the belonging, feeling connected is impossible. You know, from the inside, I would never say like, oh, I definitely confused intensity and intimacy. From the outside, people would say that. I would have never said, oh, I am chasing red flags because they feel like the familiar chaos of my childhood. From the inside, I would say, oh, why are there such bad people in the world and why do I keep dating them? <laughs> why is that I just happen to keep finding these same types of people or they find me? I would never be able to recognize it from the inside. I would actually use that information to reinforce that I'm a victim in the world. Yeah, which is sad. And when you can find all the ways to confirm your identity as a victim, because you feel overwhelmed, because you feel constantly attacked, because that's what you're scanning for in the environment, and then you find it, it's very hard to give up or let anything else in that would compromise that identity. And so you live it, you live it, you breathe it. And it becomes very difficult to be in relationships with those people, partly because they, to, you know, to feel any sense of connection and belonging, I would pull people into my crisis. I would pull people into the chaos. So those who are addicted to drama, they rope people in like a tornado. They pull them on into that space. Literally, in the, the ecosystem feels shook up. But that ecosystem, like if you've ever been in a room with someone after they've had a, a serious drama episode and you're like, whoa, 
the ground does not feel steady, that ecosystem, that environment is a replication of their internal landscape. So for that brief moment where you're like, the whole world feels topsy-turvy, it actually feels in sync for them because their inner world of chaos is suddenly matched by the outer world that is now chaotic. And they feel a sense of belonging. It's not real belonging, but they feel some faux sense of connection. And so they're absolutely going to repeat it. And you asked me about the, the science of it. So for the science of it, I mean, when I was doing my research, my doctoral research in this, and I was like, wait, why are there basically no studies on addiction and drama? Why are there no books? Why are there no peer-reviewed articles? Because you can't walk down the street and ask someone, hey, do you know someone addicted to drama? And they would say no. Everyone knows someone addicted to drama. They don't even know all the symptoms, but they like intrinsically it viscerally know like, oof, yeah, that's my sister-in-law. That's my ex-best friend. That's my mom, etc. We all know someone. And yet there was no research on it. There were no books. And so for someone like me who was like, I would like to stop suffering in my life. And I would like to stop being the contributor of that suffering. Where, what do I do? Where do I turn to? And so there was such a gap that I knew in my, when I was in school that I needed to fill. I needed to like unpack the science for people and myself. I needed to clarify what are the steps towards healing because this is so disruptive. It is so absolutely disruptive. And that disruptive just reinforces the, the dis-ease and pain that that person feels. So if we grow up in a family of chaos, yeah, first of all, that becomes our ecosystem on the outside. That becomes our ecosystem on the inside. We internalize it. We absorb it like a sponge. And often in those environments, to be heard, to be seen, to be witnessed, for our primal needs to be attended to, we need to get loud. We need to amplify ourselves to a level, to a decibel that could be possibly heard. And so we, we learn that that is the volume, the exaggeration to which you will get possibly met. And so that becomes your status quo. That becomes your baseline way of operating and understanding. If you know, the currency for love in your family, the times you were recognized and loved was when things were going wrong, when things were chaotic, when you were sick, that will then become your currency of love. You will recognize that in yourself, perhaps, that the only times I feel really connected to or I try to replicate the situations in my relationships as an adult that I can be connected to is perhaps when I'm sick or when there's chaos. So fights become the status quo, jealousy, rage, um, cheating, all of these ways of disrupting to feel some type of connection, like I said before, and something is wrong. So I'll be attended to. Now, there's another piece why cheating, jealousy, you know, the things we think of of like, whoa, why can't you just be calm and easeful and enjoy the relationship? 
is because that is far too intimate and far too vulnerable. So intimacy requires us to lower our drawbridge of our boundary enough. It doesn't mean we eviscerate our boundary, but it means like we open the windows of our boundary. We lower the drawbridge to let others in, to let others so that we feel something. We feel connected. We call that bi-directional connection of relationship. I receive you, you receive me, and there's this bi-directional connection that's intimate. Now, if those who are addicted to drama, lowering the drawbridge, opening the windows, will mean that they will be too vulnerable, too, too exposed, and they won't be able to attend to the next possible threat or trauma or, or chaos. So they learned very early on to keep those windows shut, to keep that drawbridge up, to protect themselves, to not be exposed, to not be um, unprepared. Because especially when you grow up in a household of chaos, like so many of us did, you come to expect the unexpected. Your physiology prepares for the unexpected. And vulnerability is not part of that equation. So. What do we do to protect ourselves from feeling vulnerable? We get jealous. We cause fights. We stir things up in our relationships. And a relationship becomes the depository for the ways in which we rev ourselves up out of vulnerability, out of stillness, out of quietness, out of settling, out of relaxation. Because all of those things, the stillness, the relaxation, the settling, bring us too close to our original pains. They bring us too close to being in contact with our own being, with our own trauma. And so there's a reflex that is that is embedded in our nervous system that says, hey, to keep safe, you got to be vigilant. And we need a lot of energy to maintain that vigilance. And so here's all of these ways we maintain energy, which is to stay in a stress response. Stress equals energy. So it becomes a battery pack to maintain the adaptive survival strategies that we had to embody, to use, to protect ourselves, often as kids or even as adults. So that's, that's the basic science. <laughs> Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. When you work full-time, have kids, and run a podcast, it's hard to make time for a multiple-step skincare protocol. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. Let me repeat it. They make it easy... No complicated routine, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. If you're looking for skincare products that are simple and effective, for a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase when using the code IDO when you check out at oneskin.co. I've been using OneSkin's body lotion for about a month and I've already seen noticeable improvements with small wrinkles and textures on my skin, specifically on the back of my neck and the back of my hands, two places where I get a lot of sun. Plus, my skin looks and feels healthier all around. 
It's all thanks to OneSkin's revolutionary OS-01 peptide, the first ingredient proven to deactivate aging cells responsible for lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. Unlike traditional skincare products that only mask symptoms, OneSkin pioneered a new approach, integrating tissue engineering and cutting-edge science to enhance skin biology for lasting resilience against aging. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using the code IDO at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code IDO. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support your show and tell them we sent you. If you're tuning into today's show, you're probably aware that mental health and relationship challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define you and you're not alone. If you've ever wished that you could join a conversation with an expert and call into a show in a similar vein as relationship advice, here's an opportunity for you. If you're navigating something messy, call the Dr. John Deloney show. His show recently hit top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and for a good reason. With a PhD in counseling and two decades of experience sitting with people, Dr. Deloney brings practical advice on how to connect with others, face depression, overcome anxiety, and find true wellness. This caller-driven show tackles real-life issues from relationships to emotional well-being. Dr. Deloney walks alongside people just like you as they navigate tough decisions. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Send your questions, leave a voicemail at 844-693-3291 or email askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. They want to talk to you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on our website. Yeah. Wow. It's it's so powerful. And, and I was listening very intently and in thinking about my own personal experience. And, you know, we've we've mentioned drama addiction and that this could come up regularly. But I'm someone who I, I don't think I'm overly dramatic. I'm not stirring things up all the time, but I did resonate with with what you were saying as far as moments in my life where in relationships, feeling that in order to get connection, I didn't consciously do this at the time, but that I was being overly dramatic, you know, getting angry, getting jealous. And then after having like this weird sense of like, I felt more connected, but I knew it, I was doing damage to the relationship and that wasn't a, a healthy adult thing to do. So it's so interesting, just someone listening, even if they don't identify as like, I'm an overly dramatic person. Does this come up just as a human response, even if you're not, let's say, addicted to drama? Yeah, it, there's a whole scale. I, you know, I think these are these are drama tools, we might say. And so, yes, sometimes we find ourselves in periods of our life where we are avoidant. And we use drama tools to help keep us uh, in the avoidant stance. So like whether it's like, this is too intense, this is too intimate, or I'm overwhelmed. 
either one of those, we could start to use drama tools to distract ourselves. I could go gossip and take myself out of my own stirring my or what's present in me by like basically you know colluding with you in this way about someone else or something else that stims us up and that's a beautiful distraction technique yeah sometimes we need to be distracted it's just when it becomes our status quo when it becomes reflexive when we don't know how to pull ourselves back distraction is a technique called auto regulation there's actually a term for it and you know psychology it's like oh what do we do when we when when it's too much to be with what's here what are the you know distractive techniques we use oh i go watch tv fine i might go dabble in some drugs okay i might go dabble in some drama and distract myself from myself and my pain all fine it's just that when i don't know how to come home to myself when I've been so distracted, I have no relationship to myself. And when I am no longer in control or have choice or agency about my distractions. And we can go back into the science a little bit and what makes it more officially an addiction. First of all, that despite the consequences in a relationship or despite the social consequences, I still do it. Like, even though despite the consequences in that relationship, because you felt closer for a moment, you got a little dopamine hit, maybe even a little oxytocin that says, ooh, yeah, that feels good. Continue that behavior. Even though it doesn't make sense if you pull back and like, yeah, I don't think I should fight to feel closer. Doesn't really matter the behavior. It You feel closer, so it's going to be reinforced. There's another aspect of addiction, which is called tolerance, which is we hit a threshold. We need more to, to get more drunk or to feel more. And that's, that's very much the case with drama and addiction and drama. It's the case if you like, you know, just even open uh, a newspaper or watch the news, what you would have responded to and the level you would respond to it in is different than even five years ago. The news itself, social media, any marketing needs to be more sensational. You needs to be more sexualized, needs to use more violence, needs to induce more anger to capture and maintain your attention. So that's more sensation. Why? Because we as a culture and as individuals within that culture have created a threshold of stimulus and we need more to feel more. Because one of the things that drama does for people, as I mentioned, it takes them above a level of that numbness and they feel alive. They feel like I exist. They feel anything besides the numbness. So important for someone to feel alive as opposed to, I mean, as a kid, I felt like an anchorless ghost walking through the world, moving through the world. And the moments I would get really angry and I would find situations and create situations that would make me angry, I would feel grounded in my body. And then I would keep pulling things in because I didn't want to let that go. Because being a walking ghost felt really awful. It felt like, why should I even be here? I might as well be dead. And 
Um, so we we stim we going back to the tolerance piece is that becomes not only for those who are addicted to drama that they require more to feel more, but it's happening on a global scale. And then another aspect that makes something an addiction is a withdrawal. And the withdrawal from the height or the throes of drama will feel like anxiety and boredom. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, wait, I have at times felt both anxious and bored. Could it possibly be that I'm addicted to drama? Maybe, but it could very well be that you were overstimulated and you're coming down from that heightened activation or stress response and you didn't do it in an integrated way. And that means like you didn't process, you didn't mobilize all that energy. So instead you kind of blow up at someone <laughs> or something or or you just tuck it in, you kind of collapse with it. Either way, it's not an integrated approach to processing stress. And the withdrawal symptoms from that show up as boredom and they show up as anxiety. And how do we avoid going into the boredom? How do we avoid going into the anxiety? Get another hit of drama. It's as simple as that. And so it becomes a cycle. It becomes a dependency in that way because we need more to feel more. And then the, the, the withdrawal is even bigger. It's like the fall from the, the top of the mountain of drama gets higher and higher. And so the fall is greater. And so the anxiety is more severe. The boredom is more severe. And so we reach for the next thing that can fill the void or stim us back up or rev us back into feeling once again alive. Because you enter into that boredom, you enter into that anxiety, you enter back into the numbness that's underneath it. I want to talk about how we can start to heal this. And from I think it would be valuable from the perspective of someone's listening and identifying with these patterns. And I think, as we mentioned, like we all could be there. But then I also want to discuss how we could support a partner who is maybe drama addicted and how we can navigate that relationship. Yeah. So let me just say, if, if you've ever been in any type of relationship with someone addicted to drama, whether it's a parent of yours, whether it's a lover, whether it's a friend, take care of yourself. It is not only exhausting, as you mentioned before, but it's also contagious. And that's a really important thing to understand. Literally, their stress, the intensity, the exaggerated stress response that they produce as part of their dependency is contagious to those around them. So if I were to start to speed up my words and I would get really excited and I would talk about how bad my day was and I didn't eat breakfast on time and, and then da 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 guess what? If you're in proximity to that, you're going to have a mirrored physiological response. Even though you didn't have that bad day, you didn't miss that breakfast. And so it's really important that when we talk about healing, everyone involved needs support and healing. Those who are having the addiction to drama and those in proximity to them because they are also overstimulated, overwhelmed, 
by their own stress response without necessarily the tools and skill sets to know what to do with it. And the consequences of that are the same consequences as being totally stressed out, where you don't get to recuperate the energy needed to keep adapting, to keep resilient. And the diseases of stress that we think of often when they talk about stress is not because we're just stimulated. It's because we're overstimulated and underprocessed. And that's the case for those in proximity, which is what's, why it's called secondhand stress, just as much as it is happening in those who are addicted to drama, except that they are thriving off of it. They're using that stress like a battery pack to keep them feeling alive and feeling things in the world. For those who are in proximity to them, you're likely not doing that to that degree, but you are being swallowed up by the chaos and the the physiological response that comes with that. So (laughs) what to do? (laughs) So um, healing is going to be a individualized experience. There's no one path to healing and addiction to drama. So I just want to really name them. But there are certain milestones, things that are important along the way. And the first one is awareness. Recognizing for yourself, ooh, where are the moments where I am amplifying my emotions, where I am feeding off my emotions, where I'm rolling down a little bit the drama hill and I don't feel in control? Where are the moments where I intend to go towards stillness or settling like a meditation class or a yoga class or a bathtub. And I end up reflexively amplifying or like intensifying my experience, stressing myself out, getting a hit by simply thinking about like that fight I had the other day or thinking about like something my partner could do wrong, (laughs) but it hasn't even done wrong. Or even like replaying a story or a dream in my head that kind of stresses me out or I'm feeling a little sad. So I go play a sad song (laughs) or I'm feeling kind of disappointed with a friend. So I go and I scroll through my text messages and find all the other friends I'm disappointed with, or I'm feeling insecure. So I go compare myself to other people in social media, all the ways I essentially create my own suffering. We have to become aware of that. And we have to recognize that is present in our life. And when we have awareness, we have the first step towards change. But if we don't have that step, we're just going to keep repeating it like we always have been doing. So awareness, which is, you know, sometimes we have to ask other people to help us with awareness. Hey, do you think I um, overschedule myself? and um, create my own havoc? Or do you think like, sometimes I share my story too many times, and to too many people? Or, hey, do I ever come to you? And instead of like, just utilizing our connection to process and metabolize my feelings, it becomes more of like, I'm feeding off of them and like throwing logs on my own fire, like making it kind of worse. Do I ever do that? You know, like asking friends can sometimes be helpful Um, and, you know, be open to their responses. You might not like what they have to say. I certainly wouldn't. (laughs) 
And um, take it with a grain of salt too. So we have awareness. Then we need to start going, okay, how do we interrupt the reflex of pattern of doing this? So how do I not only become aware of it, but catch myself in the act of revving up, like all the ways I rev myself up. Am I creating binds? Like a bind is where I, here's an example of a bind. I, my house is a mess right now. Like, oh, I have not been able to clean it. I really need to call someone in to clean it, but I don't want to pay someone. I should be the one who should clean my own house because I'm lazy if I don't clean it, but I really don't have the time. I really need someone else, but I'm too ashamed to call that other person, but I'm too ashamed to even have people over at my house. And you can hear how I'm feeding myself into a bind. I'm entrapping myself in a hit of stress and a hit of drama internal revving or external revving i keep focusing on things that are wrong that's external revving internal revving is like oh i didn't sleep well last night i'm gonna have such a bad day i'm not gonna be able to focus in that math test i'm like psyching myself out but i'm using that to create those hits so how do we these are all different styles of revving how do i start to interrupt the rev So that might be just simple practices of going, like I have people in my office go, they raise their hand if they notice they're revving. Like just um, like I wore a rubber band when I was younger and I would just like flick it when I would notice that I'm revving, when I'm amplifying my emotions or when I'm starting to find and like um, look for stuff that could make it more intense. Practicing slowing down, creating more space between my words is a good practice. Finding where it feels safe enough to settle and starting to teach my nervous system that settling can be safe. Um, Taking the time to taste your food is a great one. Because one of the things is when drama is your spice of life, everything else is bland. So starting to taste the nuances of things like an apple, the texture, the skin, where it came from, all of those things where I start to open up my vocabulary of nuance. Because certainly when you are more in that sort of addicted to drama or drama pattern, there's no nuance. It's black and white. It's, it's you know, generalized types of ideas. So if you find yourself like in a rev, like, oh, it's such a bad day. Go, what was bad? Like acknowledge it. There were some challenging things. And what was not bad? And can you marinate in the good just as much as you have been soaking in the bad? So starting to really shift the exaggerated negative bias that's inherent in this pattern, in this addiction. You know, the, there, there's a ton of practices in my book for each kind of, for each stage. So, but a big one in part two is interrupting, interrupting the rev. And what that does is it prepares us for stage three, which is it creates enough space that I can start to look at what's underneath the hood of the pattern. I can start to say, okay, where, <laughs> what is the underlying pain? 
what is the underlying numbness that I have never addressed? The underlying tr- like trauma or pain that that numbness is protecting. So I'm basically mobilizing and addressing the engine of the pattern. Yeah. And when I can process that, and there's a lot of different ways, especially with body-based or somatic trauma-informed approaches, that we can start to metabolize, that we can start to deal with the way that that trauma is stored in the body and creating havoc. Yeah. And because there's the trauma and then there's the adaptive strategies, the behaviors that are become in place to protect oneself and to avoid the pain, which is the addiction to trauma. So dealing with the sort of the meat of the issue takes out a bunch of the fuel for the pattern. And then we'll notice like afterwards, after you've really addressed the layers of trauma, oh, these behaviors feel empty. Like I'm revving myself up, but like I don't really need to anymore. And there's a certain freedom that starts to come when you recognize that or like, oh, I don't, I don't need to go listen to that song. I don't need to go post on social media how my day was because I can attend to my own feelings and needs. I don't need the likes. I don't need to be seen through my social avatar, so to speak, in order to feel validated. Um, and then there's a big section in, of, of work that is about releasing the identity. You know, I named earlier, like, I had a real identity as a victim. And I was. Not that I really was, but I experienced the world through the lens of, um, experienced the world in a way that I was a victim to it. I was overwhelmed constantly. I did feel like nobody had my back, even though they did, because I couldn't receive them having my back. And then there's a, a, so that phase of really letting go of my identity. Who am I if I'm not a victim? It's a big, hard question. Who am I if I'm not important? If I'm not the entertainer? If I'm not the big creative one? Who am I if I'm not the one stirring the gossip and, you know, bringing the tea to my friends? And, um, you know, there's kind of a whole process of essentially you know, having a funeral for our identity formation that we that was created as part of this um, early, as part of these trauma experiences or pain experiences. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. Makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it all the time as my easy go-to meal. And then all of a sudden, there was a ton of messaging out there telling me that I shouldn't eat carbs and that I shouldn't eat bread and that bread is bad. And I hate to admit it, but I cut out bread entirely for the longest time. And it wasn't until recently that I started to understand that not all bread is created equal. 
Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. They've remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. I highly recommend that you give their bread a try. They're giving Relationship Advice listeners 10% off when you visit hero.co and use the code I do at checkout. I was so excited to discover Hero Bread. It's truly amazing. And they've made a product that is tasty and soft while having zero to one grams of net carbs, zero grams of sugar and high in fiber. I'm not going to lie. Their white bread is so good and it makes the best tomato and mozzarella sandwich. Last week, Stella and I were back in Florida visiting our family and we all walked to the lake and the only bread we had in the house was Hero Bread. So we grabbed a slice, walked to the lake, and by the time we got there, Stella had eaten the whole piece of bread and of course, wanted more. So the poor ducks didn't get any Hero Bread, but Stella did. Since I had cut out bread for a while, every time I ate low quality bread, my body felt bad. It felt bloated and I didn't feel great. But with Hero Bread, I feel good after eating it, which makes my life so much easier because now I can go back to my easy grab-and-go sandwiches when I'm on the run. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code IDO at checkout. That's IDO at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Hey, Love Tribe. I just want to ask you a few questions. I want to know why you guys are here. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner? Do you want to feel truly heard? Are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? And let's not forget about the fun. Do you long for those fun, giggly moments at the beginning of your relationship? Over the last decade of hosting this podcast with Chase, these have been our top questions. And we get it. We've been there. And that's why we created Spark My Relationship course, because we wanted to put the tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. So we're offering this course, Spark My Relationship, for only $100 until April 6th. In less than 90 days, this self-paced course will help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner all while having fun doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 psychologists and therapists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. This offer is only going to last until Saturday, April 6th. So head on over to our website, sparkmyrelationship.com and use the code FLASH24 at checkout to get the course for only $100. That's nearly 60% off and it won't last. The sale ends April 6th. That's sparkmyrelationship.com and use the code FLASH24 to get our course for only $100. Kind of the final stage that I saw in working with not only myself, but in a lot of hundreds and thousands of patients actually over the years with this is, okay, now you've addressed you. You've been able to come back home into your body. You're able to regulate your own emotions and identify your own needs. You're able to 
lift a pencil with the energy required and needed to efficiently lift a pencil, so to speak. Then here's the part that was missing for so long, which is connection, relationship, coming into authentic belonging, true belonging, not ones that have been um, not a belonging that required you to share crisis as in trauma or drama bonding, not belonging in a way that is because someone pulled you, you pulled someone into your chaos. Yeah, but true belonging where there's that bi-directional connection. I'm receiving you, you're receiving me, and there's this dance of intimacy and vulnerability. That's kind of the path for those of you who are addicted to drama. It's you know, for those who are in proximity to them, it, it's not going to be an unsimilar path, but you're also going to need to do a few other things, <laughs> which is create boundaries. Identify like, why am I with them in this relationship? Am I getting something out of it? You know, I might, am I enabling them out of my own codependency? out of my own desire to be avoiding myself. I may not be the one stirring the drama, but I might unintentionally be magnetized towards people who do. And I want to heal them, or I want to be their martyr, or I want to be like their rescuer. Yeah, they're all different forms of an addiction to drama. And boundaries. <laughs> so identify how much energy you are willing to give someone when they're in the throes of their drama, you do not owe them anything. I want to make that really clear. You do not owe them anything. Yes, if you walk away, they will feel abandoned. Yes, they already felt that way beforehand. Your health and stability is paramount, is so important. And you have to take care of yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself, you're not really able to show up for them anyways. Yeah. You can't really help them if you're not showing up for you. And identifying, okay, how much time am I willing to give them? How much energy? How much of the drama, the negative bias, the negative talk, the gossiping, am I willing to tolerate? Because I can walk into a conversation with someone and say, I have 10 minutes. I would love to just be a support for you. Um, and what I'm not able to hold today is any stories about what happened. What I am able to hold is like how you're doing, how your tender heart is feeling right now. Yeah. Um, so that the, the boundary of what you're willing to hold space for and what you're not willing to hold space for is so important in navigating this. Um, you could also be like, hey, <laughs> let's take a walk. Let's move. So let's go into a public space. Just so like, if if you feel trapped in a space with them, if you feel like you're sitting down and you're being overwhelmed with their stress response, go move. Like that's that is how, one of the ways we process stress is to move through it physically. Um, so you know, attend to yourself. I, I like to do like cleaning rituals sometimes after I have a patient 
or a parent <laughs> that uh, is addicted to drama. And I'm like, uh, this feels messy. It feels like they were pulling me in. So I, I do a little ritual of like, okay, that's their, that's theirs. This is me. That's them. This is me. Like I really do that separation on enmeshment. I'm, I'm at, I sometimes I go take a shower. I wash my hands after a client where I just feel like I'm, I'm releasing that energy, that pull that was part of the conversation. That was part of the relationship. Um, those are some of the, the main things. Again, there's a, a whole chapter on like, how do you take care of yourself around someone who's addicted to drama? But those are some of the highlights that I think about and that I often practice. You know, uh, I will say having spent so much of my life addicted to drama and then being on the other side of it and helping so many people who are crisis hopping or jumping from one issue to the next and therapy, never allowing them to sell, to settle or to find ease and, or family members who are very much still addicted to drama. Like it's, it's taken a lot of work to go, Oh, I have to keep grounding myself back into me. I can't, I have to recognize how moments like feel like I lean into them or enable them or um, get pulled into their stuff. I learned not to ask questions. I'll be like, that sounds really difficult. I'll just make a validating statement. I won't be like, then what did they do? I never ask those questions anymore because it's enabling. I'm never going to throw my own experiences on top of theirs. That's just logs on their fire. A fire that becomes too hot for me as a bystander. Yeah. And I'm not willing to get burned anymore. I think those who are listening probably are in the same position. You're hopefully done being burned by the intensity of their fire that they unintentionally started and they unintentionally keep throwing logs on that fire. It's hot and it burns. If we're in a relationship with someone, a romantic relationship, and this pattern is showing up, you've given some great tools for how to navigate it as from from both sides. Is there ever a place to directly address it, you know, in the sense of like, hey, this is negatively impacting me and in our relationship and, and really having that conversation without trying to change them. It, it's so tricky. It is really tricky. Yeah, we can't change someone. We can invite awareness based on our own experience. Like, hey, when... When I shared this thing with you, I felt like it got taken to a whole nother level. Does it feel like we can back up a little bit where you might just be able to hear me? Like I was in a relationship with someone who very much was addicted to drama as well. Imagine that we were drama bonding. And I remember sharing a story about something that was very scary that was happening to a parent of mine a cancer scare. And within five seconds, they were on the floor crying, um, talking about all the people they know who died of cancer. Is this the end for my parent? Like, I was like, whoa. And later I was like, I don't feel like you made any room for me. Like, I, I feel I honor your experience. And it took over all the space. There was no shared opportunity or shared space. And that was really hard for me. I felt like 
I don't belong in this relationship. I don't, because there's no space for me to belong into. I mean, okay, I was in my 20, late 20s and had more, you know, therapy language at that point than I did when I was younger, when I was the one stirring more of the drama. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, it is important to identify it and know if you are in a relationship with someone that it will take time for them to change. They have to want to change. And it will take a lot of care and attention. And it may not be possible to do it with them while you are in relationship with them. I'm sorry to say. It is a deep pattern. It is a deep grooved reflex where fighting feels like intimacy for them. Or it feels like fast and furious is the way in, fast and furious is the way out that is safe. You know, it, it's, it is not something easily changed or um, it's not something easily changed. It's not something we can easily ask our partner to change. That being said, it's important to set your boundaries. Hey, I see that there's a lot of revving energy that's happening. I'm not willing to go there with you. I'm actually going to walk away. And I hear that that might stir you up more, but I'm not willing to fight with you as our love language. I I recognize you're getting jealous and that's actually pushing me further away. I don't know where the jealousy is coming from, but it's not coming from something that's happening in reality. I imagine it's something from your past that's flooding the present. And I'm here in the present and you're flooding me with your past. So, you know, like there's ways to language that and to really be like, hey, I'm, not, I'm also just not willing to be cast as the villain or the victim or the martyr or the enemy of your story anymore. I love you and I would like to be with you, but not as a one-dimensional character that you cast me as. Very valuable information. Amazing stuff. I, I know our listeners are going to love this. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I'm just, I was listening so intently and taking it all in and, and like just kind of naturally being like, how can I apply this to, to myself and my relationships and, and thinking about the situations that I've been in where these things are coming up and, and now having better tools to navigate it. And so I can't wait to dive more into it. I can't wait to check out your book. I think this will be a great place for you to tell our listeners where they can find your book, a little bit about it and where they can find you online. And then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, perfect. Uh, my website is Dr. Scott Lyons, D-R-S-C-O-T-T-L-Y-O-N-S. Uh, we have uh, a quiz on the website. Are you addicted to drama? Do you know someone addicted to drama? Which is a fun quiz. Um, and uh, there you'll find more information about me, information about my book, my fun, wacky podcast, <laughs> uh, and um, also links to my social like Instagram, which is also DR Scott Lyons, where I try to drop some fun, playful, witty, deep wisdom every couple of days or every other day. And um, yeah, so drscottlyons.com or Instagram are good places to find me and connect and uh, links to all the different places the book is being sold on my websites on Amazon and on Target and the usual and all, and hopefully as many independent bookstores as possible. Excellent. Well, we will have those links in our show notes and on our website as well. And thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, And while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge, we really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners if you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.